inspiring and equipping you to live the life you're destined to live. This is the Ascend Men Podcast. With the developments in Israel over the last week, we've interrupted our planned schedule to talk more about this difficult topic with a great long-standing friend of mine, Colin Symes. Colin's had a huge impact on my life since we met in 1988 when I first attended Edinburgh City Fellowship. Born in London, Colin spent his first two years a stone's throw from King's Cross Station, which accounts for his love of transport, particularly trains and trams. The family relocated to Billericay, Essex, and I can hear a Colchester contingent giving a whoop to that. He committed his life to Jesus at the age of 10, and quoting Colin, Jesus not only became his best friend, but also the managing director of his life. From 1975, he studied for a Bachelor of Divinity at New College, the University of Edinburgh, and during this time attended the Pentecostal Church, which later became Edinburgh City Fellowship. He developed from house group leader to congregational leader, and eventually gave up full-time work at the DHSS to become elder, i.e. minister of the church. He married Anne in 1983 and fathered three children, all of whom were in the kids' church that I used to run. Finally, you can get an insight into Colin by looking at his profile on Facebook and checking people Colin likes, of which there are five. Saint Cuthbert, Saint Mungo, Saint Aidan, Saint Columba, and Jesus Christ. Colin, thanks for being a great friend for 35 years. Thanks, Alan. And that was quite an introduction you gave me there. I hope uh, I resemble that. <laughs> oh, you will. And we always get started with a couple of quick-fire questions. So, you speak around, what, 23 different languages? <laughs> no, <not> <laughs> And I always say, I say, it's not how many languages can I speak, it's how many can I be misunderstood in. Well, and that's my first question, which is, what's the most embarrassing word mix-up you've ever made? Oh, oh, oh. oh, there are a number of those, some of which are not repeatable. <laughs> <laughs> go, go on. One of the best ones is uh, uh, when I was first in France, when I was 17 years old, first time I ever went to Paris, um, and I, I was saying goodbye to my hostess who'd had us for the evening, and I didn't realise that there's a little French word, bise, which means to give a peck on the cheek. You know those famous pecks on the cheek? I had only learned the French word baiser, which means to give a full kiss, big French kiss on the lips. And my hostess, who was a very nice lady and very friendly, we were having fun. She said, Bise, do you want to give me a peck on the cheek? And I horrified, opened my mouth and said, you want me to give you a kiss? <laughs> I quickly learned what bise meant. So I think it was probably one of my most embarrassing moments. <laughs> and, and, and in fairness, they are very close. I mean, for, for somebody like me, they sound very similar. So um, yeah. much more seriously, you very sadly, devastatingly lost your wife, Anne, to cancer in February 2020. Mm. If she could have accompanied you on any of your recent travels, where would that have been? I think she, we, we actually went to uh, Slovakia and Poland on our holiday once. And it was a great privilege, actually, this summer to take my daughter and son-in-law and my three grandchildren with me to Slovakia. And I know that she would have loved to be with us on that trip. Mm. Uh, and there were many echoes of us being there together in our time. Um, as we travelled, uh, we went, went on rafting on the river and some of the trips that I'd done with her there. So that was a lovely thing. And, and we both really en enjoyed that. 
So I, I kind of missed her being with us in the summer. I'm sure. And we miss you. We really do. So um, right mm. at the start of this episode, I want to be clear that this Q&A isn't about the detail of the current conflict. People can get that from the news channels and commentators, and we're recording this on Wednesday, the 11th of October, so a lot may change before it drops on Saturday. And the objective is really to dig into the spiritual, maybe biblical background of what's happening and answer one or two questions that people have raised, much of which isn't in the mainstream media. So before we get talking about the current conflict... Can you tell us a little bit more about your interest, Colin, in Israel and Judaism and the Hebrew language? Well, uh, I've, I've studied I've studied Hebrew at university uh, when I was doing new t- doing Old Testament studies. Um, but as part of the time I was at university, I spent a couple of months on kibbutz in Israel, right in the north of Israel, in a place called Shamir, which is on the border with what is now Syria. And uh, uh, it, it was a, a very interesting time being there. And I learned a lot about what it was like being being an Israeli in that situation, because being in the shadow of the Golan Heights, there was a constant worry about what was just over the top of the, the ridge. Mm. Uh, and so and also I traveled quite a lot during that time. I was only uh, 1920 um, and uh, I, I, I traveled around with some friends around Israel. We had some amazing encounters, stayed in Jerusalem, went down to Elat. So I got a bigger picture of the country. I was then back there as a married man with uh, with Anne when we were married and also with Anne's parents traveling around the country. And again, had some very interesting uh, encounters, particularly going, we drove over into the West Bank to go to Bethlehem in a hire car. And uh, that sort of was a bit dicey sometimes. I remember someone stopping us and getting into the car and um, insisting he was going to guide us and was very unhappy about that. So, uh, and then just last uh, last year, I was back there for the Tabernacles Festival with some friends from Poland and uh, connected with people who are uh, in, the, um, in, in a community there called the Fellowship of the Lamb on Mount Zion. And they were a Hebrew-speaking congregation, so I was able to connect even more with believing Christians there. And then uh, just in March, I was back again and met, went to the Garden Tomb, uh, which is the one of the possible places of Jesus' death and resurrection, which is owned by a British charity. And they have people guiding people around this lovely garden uh, and explaining really the story of Jesus. And uh, I, w- I was in- encouraged to apply to be one of the guides. Uh, and so that's what I was supposed to be doing in a few weeks' time, which uh, doesn't look as if it's going to happen at the moment. But uh, that, that's at some point I'm hoping to go back there. Great. Well, thanks for that. I- I'm going to ask a really basic question, which I think many probably have, but are too embarrassed to ask. So in the Bible, we read about Jesus being the king of the Jews, and yet Jews aren't Christians. So what, what's the difference between Judaism, Jews, and Christians? It's a very good question. I think the, the, in one sense, Christianity actually wasn't really planned by Jesus. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to fulfill and to continue the mission of the Jewish people. Um, if you remember back in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham, who is our common forebear, uh, that he was going to bless all of the nations, all of the families, in fact, of the earth through him. Mm -hmm. And so the whole story, the unfolding story of Israel 
the covenant, the, the connection, the relationship between God and his people is carried through. And Jesus, who is Messiah, who is the anointed one, is the fulfillment, if you like, of that whole story. He's the crown of that story. And then, as I, I often say to people, that covenant is not the old covenant with the Jews. We call it the old covenant. It's not abolished. It's not It's not thrown away. It's deepened, upgraded, changed, widened to include us. So actually, uh, if you put it in terms of the fact that, that Christians are disciples of the Jewish Messiah, we are part of the Commonwealth of Israel, because you read Romans 9 to 11, you find that God hasn't given up on Israel, but he's actually made space for us to be part of those promises. And so actually the whole thing of Christianity is kind of a later development, um, which we could go more into, but, but it's a development that actually sadly grew away from the Jews. At the same time, after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the Jewish, uh, the Jewish people, not having a temple, had to find another way to live their faith. They had rejected Messiah, they'd rejected Jesus, and so they actually began to develop a great um, system, a great code of, of practice, of prayer, of study, which became rabbinical Judaism. Well, the rabbinical Judaism had existed even in the time of Jesus, but they kind of codified it, added to it. And so, if you like, the, the difference between uh, uh, Christianity and Judaism is about where the where the story went from that time of the, the Roman occupation and that time of Jesus Messiah. What happened next? Uh, and and yet, yeah, I think one thing that amazes me, and I'm always uh, interested in, is how many similarities there are. So 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 I I regularly use Jewish prayers to pray with because in the same way we would use Psalms or we would use the Old Testament. In our worship, mm. um, there is a lot to be found in in looking into the, the current way that Jews pray. Mm. And I'm sure that really helps some people put put this into perspective. Um, when, when we read or hear about or see what's happening in Israel in recent days, it, it's hard to know how to respond. Throughout my life, conflict in Israel and Palestine, Lebanon, and organizations like Hamas and Hezbollah seem to have always been in the news in, in various ways. It just seems to be an endless conflict. So without going into like the full history of, of um, where you were just then up to modern times, are there some things recently that you might want to tell us about that would give us a sense of how we got to where we are this week? I suppose in the recent history, the chief thing that we will be looking at is the establishment of the State of Israel in 1948, following the Second World War. Um, and actually, if I go back a little bit further in the 20th century, we go back to the era, the time of the First World War, the 1914-18 war, when that part of the world, the Middle East, Palestine, whatever you want to call it, was actually part of the Ottoman Turkish Empire. And they had ruled it for hundreds of years. But in 1917, the Ottomans were defeated by the British, who came in from the south, from Egypt, and they basically uh, took took over uh, Palestine. And in that taking it over, um, there's something interesting that the British did, and this is something we maybe can think about ourselves, about our own history, is that we kind of, we promised at one, on the one side, we promised a Jewish homeland to the Jews in what was called the Balfour Declaration of 1917, when Balfour, who was, I think, a British 
politician of the time said that we wanted to have a, a, a homeland for the Jews, partly because in the British army, there were Jewish units of soldiers who were serving. And so there were many Jews who were serving Britain by getting involved in that war. But on the other hand, they also wanted the support of the Arabs against the Turks. And so they also made promises to the Arabs about what would happen after the war. And so they kind of had a two-pronged uh, promises that they were making. When it came to it, the Jews had settled under the British mandate. So what happened after the First World War, the British were given what was called the mandate to run Palestine, which they did, but more and more Jews were coming in to settle in the land. And originally, the Jews had come in to escape the pogroms in Russia and the uh, growing persecution that was happening. So there was a great Jewish uh, influx, and particularly because there was a, a movement called Zionism, that and Zion is the name of the uh, another name given to the capital of David in Jerusalem. And Zionism was the Zionism was the idea of Jewish people coming home to Palestine, to the land that they had had, to Judea as they called it, and settling there. And so there were thousands and thousands and even millions of Jews began to come into the country. So that by the time of the Second World War, breaking up that kind of time, about a third of the population of Palestine were Jewish and two thirds of Arab. Now, what then happened was that the tensions between the Jews and the Arabs became very strong at that time. Um, though actually also there were places where the Arabs and Jews got on very well. And I think I would hasten to say that there are many Arab, Arab citizens of Israel even today. There are Arab areas where Arabs live and Jews live very, very peacefully together. But this was a tension point. And actually what happened was that so there was a, a, an uprising against the British, particularly by the Jews, uh, with Haganah and Irgun and, and, and organisations that were were violently trying to displace the British. The British kind of stepped back and said, we no longer want to do this. And they gave the decision over to the United Nations. And uh, the United Nations in 1947 met together and decided that they were going to have a two nation state, uh, that, that part of the land of Palestine was gonna be given to the Jews and part of it was going to be given to the Arabs. Jerusalem itself, even though it would have been in the Arab part of, of that settlement, um, would have had its own status so that it could be accessible both by Arabs and Jews. The United Nations in 1947 voted on this, uh, this idea. About, uh, and a year later, actually, just a year later, the, the uh, state of Israel declared its independence because what had happened in that settlement of the United Nations the Arab states said they didn't want that. They didn't want that settlement the United Nations had come to, even though they they decided to establish this. And there was that. There then followed a war, which involved the nations surrounding uh, the Palestine. So it involved Syria, Egypt, Jordan, uh, and and other nations who uh, Arab nations who were coming together. So for a year there was a war. And what's really interesting, and this maybe helps us understand a little bit about what's happening today, in that war, um, the Arab nations that were attacking Israel were basically, they were determined to get back the land that they saw Israel had taken, and they told the Arabs to get out of the, the, the area so that they could 
get the area back and then the Arabs would return. But of course, the outcome of that was that Israel, this newly independent Israel state, uh, overcame and won that war. And so the 700,000 or so refugees, people who had been displaced, had to find other places to stay, although they could have come back, but they came, they stayed out. So it's a, it's a very, that's, that's where the, a lot of the tensions come from, is the initial establishment of the state of Israel mm-hmm. in, in 1948. It's really helpful. I, I have some specific questions from the guys. One or two of them have recorded them, so I'll, I'll play those. One or two of them have asked me to. To, to, to give them to you on their behalf. Uh, and we're not here to test you or judge your responses. Uh, we generally want to be educated, okay? So I'm gonna play you the first question. Hi, it's uh, John here. As Christians, we're called to pray for Israel. As it uh, states in Joel 3, uh, Psalm 122, <clears throat> and various other books. And also to pray for the people to come to know Jesus as their Messiah, as it states in Isaiah 53 and also back in the Psalms. Um, But some people don't, and some even support those who oppose Israel, such as Palestine. How, How do we encourage those with a faith to pray? Thanks for that question, John. That's a really good question. I think um, you, you quoted Psalm 122, which says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. So there is an element there of God saying there's a blessing attached to praying for, yes, for Jerusalem, for Israel. And I suppose it's also Paul would be pointing out that this is the, this is the root, this is the tree that we've come from. This is part of our inheritance and their well-being also affects our well-being. I might, you might think that's a, a, a distant idea or distant fantasy even, but but I believe that what happens there, that's why it's it's why that area is such a, 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 a place of influence throughout the world, even now, while we're all focusing in on it, why it's such a centre, because in God's economy, in God's heart, it is such a, a key place. I suppose I'm saying that also as someone who's been there a number of times and has sensed the the way that the land is developing, the way the land is changing, the way the people are, are building up, the way things seem to be leading to that, that place that Jesus promised, where he returns. And I suppose I, as one, believe that that's the place he's coming back to, uh, although it will be on a, a, a global scale. But uh, with, with many people, I believe that Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem on a physical return to that place because they said the 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 angel said that he's gone away he'll come back in the same way and we are we are bound up with that with with the well-being of that nation those those nations in that area and so we should be taking on our hearts the prayer for them and you mentioned um the jewish jewish people coming to know messiah and actually that that's interesting because there are more people who are following Messiah. I've met a number, quite a number of, of Jewish followers of Messiah. And it's exciting when they find the, the, the key to, I suppose, to the, to the whole history, to the whole story, and they understand who Jesus is, that that makes such a difference. So, yeah, I think you've got a really good point. And I would just encourage people to pray because it, it, it it's part of our history, it's part of our story as well, and it will be part of our future too. Uh, the next question, uh, we have all been horrified by the recent scenes, but isn't it inevitable after the way the Palestinians have been treated? 
Clearly, Israel has a right to exist and defend herself, but surely only a two-state solution can provide any kind of basis for long-term peace. So why isn't that on the table? Good question again. Uh, I, I think this is a very this is a this is one where there's a lot of discussion or disagreement. I think I personally could see there being the possibility of a two-state solution. And as I mentioned, that's what was laid down originally by the United Nations, but was rejected by the Arab nations. And and one of the big problems here is although I would love to see the Palestinian people settled in a place where they have their own government, they have their own, they can run their own affairs. Um, but the problem is, when we think about Hamas, for instance, let's, let's just look at the situation with Hamas. And it's very interesting that in Hebrew, the word Hamas means violence. So every time a Jew says the word Hamas, they're talking about violence. But we know that Hamas's stated intention is the destruction of Israel. That's their reason for being. So that you build that into your scenario, it would be like, you know, if 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 there was uh, if you had a house next door to you where a hitman moved in that was uh, had a contract on your life to kill you, what would that be like? Well, you would defend yourself. And I suppose some of the reaction that you're seeing, some of the uh, some of the really difficult things that are happening are to do with the the concern, the fear, um, the the the. the very strong response of Israel to this this declared intention, not by all Palestinians by any means, and that that's why even the Gaza situation at the moment, where civilians, where women and children are being so cruelly um, affected by this. But it's interesting that in hearing the, the, the what I'm hearing in the reporting, and I know I'm getting off this question a little bit, in the reporting, no one's actually saying it's terrible that they are living over the tunnels of Hamas that are underneath them firing these rockets. And that's the real problem. The real problem is that there's this infestation, if you like, of this evil thing among people that is causing great fear in Israel. And that makes a strong response. So the, the you know, the, the wall that's been built, it's a horrible thing. It looks awful. But it's a, it's a response to this fear of terrorism, uh, which we've seen all too clearly in the last a couple of months. So, so the link to that is, 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 is a further question from one of the brothers, which was, uh, I'd love to know what Judaism believes specifically about revenge and retribution mm. and how much of Israel's actions towards exterminating the Palestinian people and their state today and through the systematic resettlement of the West Bank over the last 18 years is based in biblical exegetical thinking. I suppose the... The, the the basic response will be an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. And I think you can see that coming out a little bit at the moment uh, in what's going on. And there is a kind of a determination. So uh, as Christians, we obviously have the, the, the stance to love our enemies and pray for those that persecute us. Interestingly, there are elements of that in Judaism as well. There's, there's elements in there to love the stranger. It says, love the stranger because you were once uh, slaves in Israel, uh, and therefore you know what it's like to be a displaced people. So there are elements to appeal to within the Jewish tradition as well that would say that. And also there are plenty of Israeli people who would love to see peace. There are plenty of Israeli people who want to see 
uh, a settled society. Plenty of Israeli people who have very good Arab friends and work well to the, the people work well together. But the problem is at a political level, this is is how the, the, the thing is going. So it might be worth asking a Jew that question. Um, but from my observation of the Jewish tradition, the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth is there in the scriptures. And that's that would be part of the basis that they would be working on. And it's also interesting that on the ground, you know, when you're there and you have someone coming in and killing people the way they have been, uh, what do you do? How do you react to that um, other than other than very strongly and uh, and to protect yourself? So that's a good question. I'm not sure if I've given you a good answer there, but I, I would I would say that's what that would be worth asking, asking someone, a, a Jewish friend about that. And and I have another question from from one of the guys, which which I'll play in a second. And and your answer to this may be very short. It might be yes, no, or maybe, because it's not unlike the previous question. Do you expect Israel's retaliation to end Hamas's rule in Gaza? Good question. I I don't. I think I don't know is the answer. That's their aim. Their stated aim is they want Hamas out because. As I say, if you've got a hitman living next door to you who's contracted to end your life, you want that person out. But it also depends on how strong they are and also what their what their backup is. And the, the big question is, uh, are Hamas going to be able to pull in others around them, Iran, um, Syria, others who, who may get involved in this? And that's the big fear. And it's interesting, I've just heard today that the U.S. Secretary of State and the British Foreign Secretary are both in Jerusalem at the moment. And I would think that part of that is because they don't want to see this escalate. Uh, They want to stand with Israel, but there will also be a lot of diplomatic things going on in the background to try and limit that. I'm sure that the Israeli purpose in this is to eliminate Hamas. But the problem is that when you think about how densely populated Gaza is, two million people in a small area, actually locating them and also working out who is Hamas, what is Hamas, who is standing with them, who's standing against them, it's going to be a very big job, a very difficult job to try and to try and get that one sorted out. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Colin. I'm, I'm going to keep firing these at you. So the next one, uh, some people make the link between the escalation in Israel and the end times we read about in the Bible. Where does that come from? So the, the, the idea is interesting because I've just been listening to um, a preaching from, I, I mentioned the, the, the Fellowship of the Lamb on Mount Zion, which is friends of mine, Hebrew, Hebrew-speaking congregation. And the, the main preacher there, a lovely guy called Ruben Berger, has been doing, he actually did back in July and August a series on the end of days, um, and it seemed quite prophetic given where things are now. Yeah. I suppose one thing I'd say is we've been living in the last times since Jesus. So uh, the last times doesn't necessarily mean the last few days. It means the the period that comes between the the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. So in that sense, we are living in the end times. Um, I think what I would say is that there's always an anticipation of Jesus coming back. There's always an anticipation of his coming. Uh, and, the, and there's also a growth in the levels of evil, growth in the levels of uh, people turning away from God. And I suppose that's been going on for a long, long time. You can see that through history. So to say it's only happening now, no, it's not only happening now. But I think what is happening now that's interesting is the globality, the globalization of everything. 
So we're much more aware on a global scale of what's happening. My own sense is that uh, things are coalescing into something quite global, quite serious. Um, and we are we are to expect the coming in of Jesus. One thing that I love that Reuben said in his preaching about the last times, he was talking from the book of Revelation, which is where everyone goes to when they're thinking about last times, is that from the book of Revelation, the thing that you constantly keep is the lamb in the center. Jesus is the center. Uh, it's not about dates and times and events. It's actually about the lamb is the one who overcomes. It's not about human resources it's actually about him and the thing i've loved listening to him is he's constantly talking about the worship going on in heaven so our worship is the important thing keeping jesus central keeping him at the focal point whatever the unfolding uh, days bring ahead of us is to keep our focus on jesus because he's the he's the lamb on the throne he's the one who overcomes. So time time is against us. I'm going to ask one more question and then we'll come to a bit of a call to action. So just to warn you that that's coming next. Over the last few days, racist anti-Jewish demonstrators in London have been chanting, Israel is a terror state. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Should we expect incidents of anti-Semitism against Jewish people and property to increase? And what can we do about that? I'm heartened at the moment to hear the, particularly the leading politicians standing with Israel and and naming this as what it is. You know, this is a, a, a horrible, evil event. You know, hearing Joe Biden using the word, this is sheer evil. Um, I think it's good to hear that. I think what is interesting is that there has, you know, anti-Semitism is something that has gone right through the history, particularly uh, since the time of Jesus, and sadly, and this is something I, I probably will encourage people to think about, sadly, that has been manifest in the church in many, many ways through the centuries. The church's treatment of the Jews has not helped. Yes, do I think there will be an increase in anti-Semitism? Uh, there could be. But what's interesting is that many, many Jews have already returned to the land. That's one the interesting thing. We talked about the last times moment ago. There's one thing in the last times that it said would happen is that God would gather the, the, the people of Israel back to, to Israel. In fact, Jews pray in their prayer uh, three times a day in their regular prayer. They pray, blessed are you, Lord God, who gathers the exiles of your people. Mm. And there's something about that coming back together. So people are going back to actually fight at the moment. And I think there are actually less Jews than there were. There's less Jewish people in the nations than there were. That doesn't mean there aren't any, but a lot of people are going back to Israel now. So do I expect an increase in anti-Semitism? I think anti-Semitism is always there. And we, I think as believers in Jesus, we have to counter it. What I would say is for me, there's a difference between the Jewish people as the people of the old covenant, the people that God still has an interest in, and the political state of Israel. So I think it's important to make the distinction. I'm not one of those who say uh, Israel wrong or right. Everything that Israel does is, 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 is right, because they're a democratic state. There are, in one sense, they are a, a liberal democracy, or they're, they're seeking to be a liberal democracy, although they've got this right-wing thing at the moment. So just like any democracy, um, there's going to be uh, a need to question the government. There's going to be need to question the activities, as we would in this country, as you would in any democratic country. 
But I think to actually be against the Jewish people because they are Jews is, uh, is, is illogical and is dangerous. And I think that's where we've got to, um, we've got to say no to that in our own lives and, as I say, pray for, pray for Israel, pray for Jerusalem, because they're part of our story. So, so there's a great, a great call to action to pray for Israel, to pray for Jerusalem, to pray for peace, because uh, there's nobody listening to this wants to see terrorism, wants to see more repeat images like the ones we've seen uh, over the past few days. Nobody wants that. And so we should, we should pray for, the, for that peace. Is there anything else you'd like to leave us with? Anything that you think would help us to keep uh, open to what God's doing in, in this terrible situation? I think one thing I would encourage people to do is to find out more about the Jewish understanding of our faith, of faith and what they, I, I have some very good Jewish friends and have been along to synagogues a few times and I'm surprised sometimes at how um, we're praying for similar things and we're hoping for similar things and yes it's, it's tricky because um, most of that is in Hebrew and as a, as a Hebrew speaker it's something that I can plug into but a part of what I do actually what, I, what, what I'm going to be doing in a couple of weekends time in Poland actually is looking at the way that Jewish people pray their main prayer and seeing how much there is in that that we can identify with and understand and actually even learn from so I think for us to learn more I want to encourage our listeners here to learn more about the roots about the story of Israel about what it what would mean what it means for them to be Jewish and to learn a bit about the tradition because Jesus is a Jew Jesus is still a Jew he's the king of the Jews as you said and therefore his people matter mm. uh, because he's not given up being Jewish he's not a Christian mm. <laughs> he's a he's a Jew so the more we can understand and know about that the more helpful it will be in these kind of situations what a wonderful way to to put that so so Colin your historical knowledge combined with your understanding of scripture and language gives you a really strong authoritative voice in this space and we we just really appreciate you facing some tough questions today and for your direction and for your heart from from all of the guys um, thank you very much Colin and we really appreciate you you spending time with us today and thank you for asking it's been a privilege to be able to share with you That's it for this Ascend Men podcast. If you've enjoyed this content, please share it with a mate. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Together, we are stronger. <laughs>